Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week it's episode 297 and Craig's talking with Nora Dunn. That's right. Uh, now, we've known Nora for a long time, eh? Well, yeah, probably since we, more or less since we started the podcast. Maybe within a year or maybe two years, something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. I made a bit of a faux pas in the interview because I completely forgot that we had actually met in person in Auckland a long, long time ago. Well, you're a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, I am at that. I have a memory of a goldfish. It must have been seven or eight years ago. It was a long time ago, um, but yeah, it's great. We've, we've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> I mean, this is two, episode 297, and that's with a, well... A reasonable break in the middle there. <laughs> yeah. Now, we've been trying to do uh, one episode every month uh, since the beginning of the year, and so far we've managed one out of three. Yeah, High we're not five. doing very well. Yay. The, the um, problem is we recorded a podcast last month, but um, because Craig went to Berlin, went to IB, ITB, met out with a whole bunch of bloggers, did some recordings, and the sound quality was just ridiculously shocking. So it didn't work out. So we're going to try again. We're going to try harder. We're going to be better. I mean, it's mostly my fault because, as you know, we're in Spain at the moment so I can do my master's degree. And uh, as well as full-time study, I'm also working as a language assistant in a local high school and primary school. So I don't have a lot of energy or a lot of time to do the podcast. But um, today I'm going to finish my thesis, or at least <laughs> a, a, a big part of it. I'm going to get uh, 95% check mark done so after that i think i'll have a lot more time and energy yeah it's going to be uh going to be good to be through the end of this yeah march uh, was a difficult month <laughs> we have some uh travels coming up which we'll tell you about after the interview uh but right now we've been enjoying uh easter in uh, alcala de Henares in spain as you know spain's a very catholic country and easter is a big celebration here the big thing about Easter in Spain is going to processions. And I think we might do a podcast about how to celebrate Easter in Spain, maybe maybe next month. Um, but processions are the really big deal. So we went to one on Monday and also one on Tuesday. We went to one yesterday, but it hadn't started. So uh, that one didn't work out. Today is Thursday, and we might go to another one tonight. Uh, anyway, I've recorded a little bit of sound from, from each of them. So first up, you'll get to listen to some bells from the Holy Monday procession. The Holy Tuesday procession was the stages of the cross. So we went to look at it and we kind of saw that the procession was stopped quite far down the street. I think it was the second or third stop. And then it came along, passed us, we joined in, and then it stopped again. And uh, the, the priest did a reading from, from the Bible. So here's a little bit of the reading. Ha sido glorificado a los hijos de Dios. Y mi Dios era mi fuerza. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that little uh, audio taste of uh, Alcalá de Henares and uh, all of the Catholic processions that are happening at the moment. Uh, we'll be putting some photos and things like that up on Instagram and uh, we've uh, had a go at, at Meerkat as well, um, but the 3G networks don't seem to be too happy about streaming stuff. No. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep that going. But um, Indie Travel on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter, you'll find us there. 
And uh, here's my interview with Nora, where we're speaking about her new book on how you can make a living and a career while on the road. So today I'm talking with Nora Dunn from The Professional Hobo, and we're talking about her new book, Working on the Road, The Unconventional Guide to Full-Time Freedom, amongst other things. Nora, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Craig. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, now it's um, it's so great to hear your voice because we've been in communication since God knows when, probably about 2006 or seven or eight, somewhere way back then in the, the dusty archives of the internet. <laughs> the pioneer days, as, as a friend of mine calls it. <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. So yeah, so your brand, uh, The Professional Hobo, has been going for, for all that time and uh, you know, we've kind of circled around each other, emailed backwards and forwards many a time, but um, I don't think we've ever met in person, have we? I was, I was clicking we, back through all the conferences and things and couldn't, uh, couldn't connect anything. We did. We actually met in uh, New Zealand. I believe it was New Zealand in Auckland. We went for coffee. That's right. I remember now. That was my problem, going through, uh, going through conferences in my head instead of coffee dates. <laughs> well, and it was many moons ago as well, so it's it's easy to uh, you know when we have we travel to so many different places and we meet so many different people, you know it's 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 an amazing experience. But sometimes, uh, you know, as we've discovered here, it, uh, it it can be difficult to put it all together when you've you know been at it for many years. Absolutely. So bring me uh, bring me up to date. Where are you at the moment, and where have you been traveling lately? Well, I'm. Uh, I- Currently sitting in uh, Florida, in Hollywood, Florida, staying at a friend's place. I've just finished a two-month trip that I just called the the, the sea trip. It's a, a trip that coincidentally was all two places that start with the letter C. So I, I spent a, a few weeks in Colombia uh, near Bogota with uh, some family friends. And then I headed up to Colorado uh, where I was staying with a friend of mine for a few weeks and, and tasting winter for the first time in eight years. Uh, and I got my taste for another 10 years. I'm done with snow. That's all good. <laughs> Uh, and then I headed down to Costa Rica for a few weeks, again, staying with some friends. Uh, and this was all part of a two-month trip to escape the rainy season in Peru, where I've recently established a bit of a home base, where I'm headed, I'm headed back to Peru in, uh, in just a few days. Smooth. Well, hopefully the rainy season's over. Uh, yeah, I've just done my first winter in, uh, uh, oh no, I've done two, two winters on a trot in the last two years, but I'm looking forward to avoiding it for the foreseeable future now. I'm I'm done as well. It's over. Yeah, winter in small doses. I grew up in Canada. I I know what winter can be like. You know, people say, "Oh, come on. You know what? Why aren't you more hardy? You're Canadian." I'm like, well, "You know what? That's why I started traveling was to avoid winter." You know, and I was on a very <laughs> successful mission to permanently avoid winter. You know, if I was in the southern hemisphere and winter came, I went to the northern hemisphere or stayed somewhere around the equator. So, uh, yeah, that first taste of winter in, in eight years. You know, I was I'd kind of forgotten what it was like. I was I was getting curious again as to, you know, and I kind of wanted to play in the snow I thought it might be fun um, and it was fun uh, until that bitter cold set in and then the snow lost its novelty and then I just never wanted to leave the house uh, and, and it was it all came flooding back to me it's like oh yes I do remember this winter thing no all right not for me thank you very much <laughs> so I guess there's a lot of people listening going eight years on the road oh my god so can you take us back to um to that cold winter in Canada and uh, and start with with why why do you want to give up the, I guess, the, the comfort and security of your job and, uh, and start traveling like this? 
Well, I had, um, I, I long had this, this little inner voice that, you know, you could call a friend or a pest or even a foe, depending on how you're looking at it. Uh, and then this inner voice would regularly kick in at various intervals in my life. And it would say, Nora, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. There's something else out there for you. And usually when that voice kicked in, I, I would change my career. I, I was fairly bold about, you know, in my 20s, I was, I was eager and bold to explore different careers and different modalities and different things to do. And uh, sometimes at the expense of, of you know, people kind of thinking, wow, this girl's a little flaky. She just can't decide what she wants to do. Um, and I was never afraid of that, that um, you know, being ridiculed in that way. I was just happy to explore life and, and what life had to offer. But uh, one of those avenues of exploration was I started a financial planning practice um, and uh, I was running this, this business in financial planning and really enjoying it. I'd carved out a bit of a different niche with regards to working with clients that was much more around what people wanted to do with their lives as opposed to what they wanted to do with their money because I believed that you know a big pile of money is not going to do you much good unless you know how it's going to help you live the life of your dreams. So I'd already taken this, this, this kind of mm, circuitous approach to financial planning and something that I'd actually become a little bit renowned for and helping these people design the lifestyles of their dreams in ways that they'd never really thought was possible. And this voice, this little inner voice kicked in again one day, Nora, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. There's something else out there for you. And I thought, no, no, not again. You know, I found this rewarding career. I've spent up all these years building this business. I can't do it. I can't make another change. <clears throat> so instead, I filled my life with all these other things that I was hoping would bring me satisfaction. And I became incredibly busy. I was doing, you know, I was doing charities. I was sitting on boards of directors. I was a Toastmaster. I was a Rotarian. I'd gotten back into professional acting, singing and dancing. So I was doing musical theater and in movies and television commercials. And I was busy 18 hours a day before I knew it and quickly burning out. And that little inner voice still would not be quiet. So it was, it took an actual full on burnout for me to have to literally stop doing everything and really ask myself what it is I wanted to do with my life. And that was when it, it really all kind of clicked into place for me. I'd had a lifelong dream to, to travel the world. And I took regular vacations. And although I enjoyed those vacations, I always returned home from a destination with more questions than answers. Uh, I, I never felt then in the one to two weeks I had to get away, I never felt I had enough of an opportunity to actually get to know a culture uh, and, and, you know, to get to know locals and to get to, to really explore the inner workings of different places in the world, which is really what my dream was. And I thought, there's no possible way I can put in another 30 years in the traditional workforce awaiting a retirement lifestyle that would allow me to do this, this sort of cultural exploration that I really wanted to do. You know, in 30 years, would I even be willing or even physically able to explore the world in this way? And the answer was, I don't know, but I'm not willing to take that gamble. So that was the impetus for me to sell everything I owned and start traveling the world full time in this, in this mission to, to crack the code of various... <laughs> cultures and climates and, and destinations around the world. So I've been, uh, that was eight years ago, and I've been traveling full-time ever since. 
that's a, a very, I don't know, to, to me that's really inspiring because when Linda and I started traveling and we're on, uh, I guess, a, a similar mission with a slightly different edge, but um, yeah, we we were leaving from a point of view of, okay, let's let's work ourselves up to the point where we can go. So we were intentionally not establishing anything in our lives and you know some people have said well it was kind of easy because you're you know in your early 20s didn't hadn't planned to go into a career you'd planned to travel and so it's it's interesting hearing that other side of it where you you had done that and you had built your business and you had got everything up and running and then decided to to shift and change so I mean, did did you plan this transition like you would for a client? Was it like, okay, well, I need to hit these milestones and and get this, and you know, or was it just you hit that point where you you know you said you were hitting burnout and you just needed change, so it's drop everything and and go. I think it was a bit of a hybrid of, of both of those. I mean, as a financial planner, um, I had been, you know, I'd been very financially responsible all of my life. Uh, so I, I had been um, attentive to saving and investing uh, money from the very first day that I started working. So while some people might uh, decide they want to travel the world and then need to start saving and financially preparing for it, I was in a, a position where I'd been in the workforce for, you know, I mean, I was 30 when I sold everything. So I, I'd already had a chance to, to uh, at least financially prepare for this. Um, so I, I had a nest egg of savings. I had some retirement savings that if left you know, to grow would compound and be able to provide for me later in life. Uh, what the only thing I really needed to do when I decided what I wanted to do was travel. The only thing I needed to do was sell everything. Uh, so I sold the business. Uh, I sold, you know, the sports car, the loft, the skydiving gear, the you know, the furniture, all the all the accoutrements that we uh, we tend to um, accumulate when we have a place. And that wasn't an easy process. It wasn't an easy process uh, emotionally or logistically, but it certainly was cathartic. And uh, so I allowed myself, in order to make that full transition, especially the transition out of my business, in order to to mm, transition my clients to other people who would be able to take care of them, it took me about six months. Uh, and I, I did it slowly. I could have done it a little quicker, um, but uh, I gave myself that window of opportunity to make that happen for a variety of different reasons. And uh, and. Yeah, that was it. That was really the only thing I needed to do once I'd made the decision to travel. Uh, so it wasn't a process of necessarily having to to plan it out years in advance. It was uh, it was just a matter of putting one foot in front of the next. Very nice. So yeah, so we've both done a very similar thing, I guess, but from two very different sides of the spectrum. So it's great to see that they both can work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Well, let's talk a little bit about your new book, Working on the Road. I understand it it had a, a long gestation period. <laughs> yes, it was it was over a year and a half in the making. It was quite a gestation. Luckily, I didn't have any stretch marks or labor pains from this one. But uh and and it was uh, 
published in in uh, partnership with Chris Gillibo of the Art of Nonconformity, and uh, and we both hold the badge of honor now of this being the longest book in uh, in publication uh, with regards to how long it took to uh, to put it together uh, <laughs> in, in his repertoire of guides, uh, unconventional guides that he he has published on his site. So, yeah, we we both hold that badge of pride with uh, <laughs> with enthusiasm. Smooth. And uh, I've been reading it as I've been um, flying around to various conferences and things recently. It seems like airports and airplanes are the only reading time I get at the moment. But um, it's got a lot of detail, starting almost from the, well, I guess the why and inspiration through to the nuts and bolts of, of how and different pathways to work on the road, and then finishing off with a, a bunch of tools that can be used, um, you know, like equipment and online services and that kind of thing to to get started uh, with this lifestyle. But one thing that really stood out to me was the number of kind of case studies um, that were in there and uh, around different people doing or creating a lifestyle and changing their lifestyle using such a wide range of uh, different I guess you said the word modalities before, that kind of fits in well, you know, different careers, different family commitments, different travel styles. Was that something that you always had in mind to have this this great breadth of, uh, of case studies? Well, and this is part of the reason why the guide was so long in the making. I'd always planned on on interviewing people to to demonstrate um, different ways of of living and working on the road. Uh, but what I found is the more people I interviewed, uh, the more opportunities I found, the more different ways I discovered of being able to work on the road, to be able to design a lifestyle of, of traveling full-time uh, and and finding ways to work on the road, whether it's a, uh, working as a telecommuter online or having a location-independent business or finding jobs along the way. or And there was just... Uh, I found more and more and more people who were out there doing this and living this lifestyle in so many different ways, singles, couples, families, families of up to eight. Rachel Denning and her husband Greg travel with six children and they travel full time and they make a living on the road while they're doing it. Uh, there are so many inspirational people out there that I just needed to, to add more and more people to the book. Uh, and so, yes, I, I've got well over a dozen case studies of people who lead completely different lifestyles on the road, um, running completely different careers and businesses. And I profile the businesses, the different ways to make money on the road. And I also profile the lifestyles, how these people travel, um, how they how they spend their money, what the cost of living is on the road. I actually outline um, the expenses that right down to the last penny that people spend in order to live and work on the road, uh, and also two lifestyle challenges. You know, how do you travel as a family on the road? How do you educate your kids? Uh, what are some of the challenges that people have with regards to work life balance? Uh, and what I really wanted to do is I wanted to create a very full picture of what it's like to get into this lifestyle. And then I also wanted to provide all the tools uh, and resources and, and hopefully some inspiration as well for people who want to get out there and do it but don't even know where to begin. Yeah, I think a lot of the when – I, when I first saw the, the title of the book, I was like, oh, I know Nora's going to do a good job, but 
how much will it fall into that kind of make money online space or that, you know, um, kind of the model that, that you and I have both used well of building an audience and, uh, you know, building other writing opportunities and other paid opportunities out of that. Um, and I was really surprised. I mean, blogging and uh, online publishing is in there, but there's such a, a wide range of, of other, um, I want to say, skill sets that are being leveraged into these different careers. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's a great number of the people that I interviewed aren't bloggers at all. They don't even have a blog, nor do they even really have an online presence. Uh, there's uh, some, some, you know, that I met some people uh, who are international teachers. They've been teaching at international schools uh, around the world for the last 17 years. They, they aren't online at all, but I, I met them through a couple of circuitous connections and interviewed them for the book. I mean, that's a completely, you don't have to be an online online wizard. You don't have to be a blogger. You don't have to be a web designer uh, or, or do any of these things that, that have become almost stereotypical uh, ways to be, to be able to make money on the road. There are so many different options uh, that, um, yeah, I really wanted to provide an expanded view of what it is to be able to live and work on the road. And it doesn't have to be what, you know, you, there's so many books online with, you know, make money online and, and there are great tools and resources, but yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to go deeper than that. Yeah. I think you've done a great, a great job on it. I was, um, not scared that you'd fall into that trap, but when I saw the title, that was something I was like, Oh, another one. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was great to see such a, such a wide range of, of people, but you must've seen in all of this, you've looked at a lot of uh, successful people doing very different things. You must've seen people that are kind of leveraging the system to, to do it the easy way instead of doing it the hard way. You know, um, building building up a blog audience, for example, takes a couple of years before you can really get get traction. Um, but there must be easier and quicker ways to jump into living and working on the road. There, yes, there absolutely are. It depends on what you want to do. I mean, even with regards to starting a blog, there's much more of a science to it now than than when I started. I mean, mm. the concept of monetizing blogs uh, in 2006 was almost unheard of. Uh, in fact, most people could barely define what a blog was, myself included. Um, so, you know, for myself, I mean, I, I stumbled my way up that learning curve, hitting every lump and bump you can imagine. <laughs> yep. And it, it took me years to develop the blog and the audience. And, and I didn't even really have a vision to, to, to make money with my blog. It was just a glorified travel journal when I started. Uh, now, if you apply the science to it, and there is a science to it now, you can definitely um, get traction online a lot quicker. Um, you know, there's a, I saw a book coming out, you know, like you said, there's, there's a lot of books out to, these, to these, uh, these ideas. And I saw a book that came out the other day that was um, how to uh, make money with your blog and travel the world writing hotel reviews. Uh, and it's, it, it's a bit of a, um, you know, that there are some professional travel bloggers who will cringe at this whole idea because, you know, yet another site reviewing hotels, you know, just so you can get free places to stay is, uh, can be a little bit, uh, oh no, really? Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys did a, a very ethical job of, 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 um, of portraying how you can actually, you know, start a blog and, and ethically write hotel reviews for more than just a free stay. But there are certainly, uh, people out there who are, um, 
who are applying a certain science to developing online businesses. And what it's doing is it is diluting that. I mean, it's just, the competition is incredible. I think it's something like every four seconds, you know, a new blog starts. So, um, you know, you have to apply a little more business sense uh, and, and niche uh, business ideas in order to, to stand out in the web audience. But it's certainly not the only way to do it. Uh, if you want to start traveling the world and, and aren't necessarily interested in uh, going the blogging route or the online business route, uh, you know, you can teach English abroad. That's a, it's, and I, I have a whole section on, on what it is to teach English abroad. I've interviewed a variety of people of different lifestyles and ages and backgrounds who all have been teaching English around the world. Um, you can work on boats. You can work on cruise ships. I interviewed Wandering Earl, who spent years and years uh, working on cruise ships. Um, I myself actually spent three months living and working on uh, a variety of different boats throughout the Caribbean and realized that there's even, aside from cruise ships, there is an entire nautical world that can provide you with not only a lifestyle and places to stay, but also an income. So, that, I mean, there are really dozens of different ways to design the lifestyle of your dreams uh, and, and travel the world while you're doing it. Brilliant. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> Smooth. I want to uh, let you go, but before, uh, before we finish up, think back to this, uh, this amazing sea trip around uh, Central America. I want you to, uh, to give us one tip, one caution, and one must-eat dish from the last two months. Ooh, very nice. Okay. Um, so one tip is don't overplan. A lot of people, when they do a trip, especially if it's a trip of a, a limited length, and I knew that this trip was just, this particular trip was just going to be a two-month round robin, um, people want to get the most out of their time. And they will want to, uh, you know, they want to make sure that they're going to see the right things and, and they'll research lots. Research is very good. But then sometimes they feel the need to plan and book a little too much. And the problem is you get to your location, you meet some new people, you find different opportunities and, and things that you want to do more than the things that you actually plan to do. And if you've overplanned your trip, you don't have the opportunity or that flexibility to explore different avenues. So, you know, arrive at a place, book your first few nights, and see what happens. Have an idea of what you want to do and a budget around what various things cost, but then leave yourself open to what you might find once you arrive, because more often than not, you'll find something cheaper or something that interests you a little bit more, or you'll meet some new friends who will introduce you to an opportunity you couldn't possibly have predicted, and you want to have the openness to be able to do that. Um, what was your second thing? One tip, <laughs> one, one tip, one, one caution. This one's a tricky one. Yeah, it is. Let's see. One caution. Maybe that should be the caution. <laughs> Don't overplan. Um, one tip and one caution. Don't overplan your Yeah, trip. roll them all into one, eh? So this, one, <laughs> this one's potentially even more trickier. One must eat dish. Well, I'm a big fan of ceviche. Mm. And the ceviche in Peru is epic. 
Uh, so, and, and, you know, that's where I have a bit of a home base. So I, I was, I've, I've been quite attached to, uh, to the ceviche in Peru. So when I hit both Colombia and Costa Rica, I had to try the ceviche as well. Uh, so that's for me personally, that's a great must eat. I wasn't impressed with the ceviche in Colombia. It, it, it tasted like, I mean, at least at the place that I'd eaten it, it tasted like they'd put ketchup on it. I'm not really sure what that was all about. Oh, um, but in Costa, in Costa Rica, they got it right. Uh, and it was beautiful. Uh, and that's, it's another interesting way to travel is, 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 you know, to travel with food. And if there's a common dish in various countries, I like to try that same dish in various countries and see how they do it differently, see how the local ingredients vary and, and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, you know, try, try different foods, but also in some cases, try the same food and, and, and see how a different country or culture puts their little twist on it. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the ceviche out in, I'm trying to remember if it was Arequipa or Trujillo, but uh, one of those towns, well, cities uh, in Peru, just, yeah, amazing. That's uh, that's a food memory that will stay with me for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty epic. Those local peppers that they use, it's, it's all about the local seasonings. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, where can people find you online and uh, connect? And where can people find your book? So I can be found at theprofessionalhobo.com where you'll find a, a variety of, of not only my own little tales of ex- exploration, but you'll also find financial travel tips and uh, a variety of, of, of guides and, and uh, free e-courses and whatnot to help you learn how to travel full-time in a financially sustainable way. Uh, and my latest book, which we've talked about, Working on the Road, The Unconventional Guide to Full-Time Freedom, can be found at workingroad.com. Very nice. Well, Nora, thanks so much for coming on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you when we hit uh, South America again sometime next year. Brilliant. I look forward to seeing you soon then. Great. It was so good speaking with Nora again. Thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, well, what? I don't know. <laughs> you got really confused all of a sudden. I thought I wanted we- to say something, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> well, we were going to speak about our uh, well. Yeah, our upcoming trips, that's I right. guess, which are really my upcoming trips. Uh, yeah, that's have... why I stopped talking, because I didn't have anything to say. <laughs> oh, we have lots of visitors over the next little while with uh, Linda's brother and his fiance coming to visit us um, here. And Today. Then, yeah, they fly in tonight. Um, <laughs> and then the uh, next trip, I think, is my dad and stepmom are coming mm-hmm. over from New Zealand uh, for a week or so. And we'll be here in Alcala, also in Madrid, and out in Valencia for a few days. Yeah. Uh, then we have some travel blogging friends coming to stay, probably. Probably. Not 100% sure. Come but, you on, know, Hex. You've got to come. It's, it's, all, it's all up in the air. Yeah, the uh, the Hex from Hectic Travels, and then uh, Dave and uh, Lauren looking to come up as well. And then... Uh, we're off to TBEX, which is uh, the Travel Blogger Exchange Conference that's being held in Yoret del Mar, uh, which is out on the coast, east of here. And north, very north. Very north, yeah, out by Barcelona. Yeah. Um, and then after that, what's happening? Oh, I'm, I'm going up, away for it. I'm going away for two weeks without you. Yesterday, um, <laughs> I was sitting on the couch, just relaxing. I might have been reading a book. And Craig said, Linda, come over here so I can show you something. So I went over there so he could show me his itinerary of the two weeks he's going to be in the Baltics. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, so I'm going with uh, half a dozen other travel bloggers uh, with J-Way Travels. Uh, they're specialists in uh, the Baltics and uh, kind of Central Europe and Eastern Europe travel. And uh, they've put together a great itinerary for us, taking us through the, uh, the three Baltic capitals of uh, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia. And uh, that's going to follow straight on from Tbex mm. and be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. oh yeah. And so uh, you'll be hearing more about that in the coming months. And uh, of course, I'll be live tweeting and all that kind of stuff as I go. Then after that, you need to, to do that last 5% of your thesis. Yeah. Um, and school wraps up for you in uh, June, right? Yeah, mid-June, kind of in so, June. Yeah, so from July, we'll be on the road again. We're looking at uh, some travels around Spain and then trying to figure out where we're going to go for, uh, for the rest of summer. Uh, Portugal's on the maybe list. I think at the moment Morocco. it's... Yeah, Portugal, Morocco, maybe Bulgaria, maybe France... We really haven't narrowed it down very well. No, that's quite it. We'll no. be in Europe for summer, probably. Yes, I mean, Morocco is in Europe, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not very good at this. No, and then we're looking at Central America uh, for the end of the year. Um, so God knows what's going to happen to us <laughs> for the second half of this year. We'll be doing but, something. Uh, it'll be great. Yeah, we're sure it'll be fun and uh, hope to have you along for the ride. Well, that's us for this month. Until next time, travel well.